Support for this podcast comes from CityCast Denver. CityCast Denver is the daily local podcast that tackles stuff you've been wondering about Denver. Would a Denver Olympics be a good thing? Will the cost of housing ever come back down to earth? Is Casa Bonita still Casa Bonita if the food is tasty? Each morning, CityCast Denver brings you the hidden gems and unexpected discussions you actually want to hear. Plus, a dose of local news to get you up to speed. Hosted by lifelong Denverite Bree Davies, every episode of CityCast Denver is the local conversation you won't want to miss. Made by Denverites, for Denverites. Find CityCast Denver on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Underground at the Showcase, an official podcast of the Underground Music Showcase, powered by Youth on Record. I'm Genevieve Glimp, here with Danny Acri. Danny, what's up? You know, I'm chilling. I'm so hyped to be here at Mutiny Information Cafe on South Broadway. We're going to be here all weekend throughout UMS, and we'll be joined by a number of artists who are performing at this year's festival. Before we jump into the thick of it, we want to remind you to follow or subscribe on whatever you're listening to, any streaming service, hit that button. In this episode, we are joined by Hakeem Bellamy, an author, poet, activist, and a community delegate at this year's Underground Music Showcase. In addition to being a regional and national poetry slam champion, Hakeem Bellamy was the inaugural poet laureate for the city of Albuquerque, New Mexico from 2012 to 2014, and is the deputy director at the Albuquerque Department of Arts and Culture. His work has been widely anthologized and published in Truthout, the Occupy Wall Street Poetry Anthology, Counterpunch, Mass Tequila Review, and other books and journals. So welcome to UMS and to our podcast. Thank you, Genevieve. Thank you, Danny. I'm, I'm glad Danny said the whole title. Uh, the, uh, what, where are we at again? Something oh. Information Cafe? Mutiny. Mutiny, mutiny. Information Cafe. Yeah. No, they just told me mutiny, and I was like, what's mutiny? Something that <laughs> pirates do? And then I saw books, and I was like, this is different. And now we're doing a podcast. And so, yeah, Information Cafe seems seems an appropriate yes. descriptive. Ca- yeah. Literate pirates. There we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love reading about pirates with pirates and pirates that can read. <laughs> Actually, the, the Wi-Fi name is Davy Jones Locker. Oh, see, they get how fitting. They it know. gets deeper. It's a it rabbit gets hole. Meta. <laughs> <laughs> so, what does it mean to be a poet laureate? Yeah, it it, it simply means a poet of record, right? You know, the uh, laureate makes it harken back to like you know the Roman Empire days of jousting and and uh, and what was that in that movie Three Hundred fighting with, you know, fighting gladiators, stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to kind of the age of the Olympics and the actual laurels that, that Olympians would wear, but it literally just means poet of record. And you can be the poet laureate of a town, of a city, of a school, of a country. And um, Albuquerque let me be their first one. That was almost 20, 12 years ago? A little more, yeah, 12 years ago, because we're on our sixth poet laureate now. And I was, wow. I was the first, two year terms. That's awesome. And what is it like? It is, um, it's a lot of waiting for the phone to ring or to get an email that says, hey, 
heard about our city has a poet laureate and we're doing a, you know, building dedication or we have a national conference coming to town and we'd like you to open the proceedings up with a poem. And it's a little bit of either hoping you have something already written that fits the occasion or writing something brand new for an occasion. Um, those are called commissions. And so when you get a commission, they're essentially paying you to write something for the occasion. And so that mo for the most part, poet laureates work, uh, poets laureate work kind of goes in two categories. It's either, you know, um, we'd like you to come do a 10 minute set of your finest work. So things that are already written or we have this really cool thing happening. It's about this and we are actually paying you to write something about this, um, which are occasional poems or poems for, for an occasion. So yeah, it's a mix of that kind of work for two years. Um, I think the most special part about it, other than as a poet laureate, you're generally are like equal parts cheerleader for your city. Um, and then also the person who's kind of supposed to be like the public conscience of a city as well. So when it's like a, a best friend, they, they make you laugh, but they also tell you when your breath stinks. And so that's your job for your city is to be like, yo, this, this ain't cool. Um, but, but for the most part, yeah, you get to write a lot of poems about a place that you really care about. So. It's amazing. And what is, what's your favorite, do you have like a, a special occasion that you like to write for or like you get it like really enthused about? Like graduations or like, yeah, is that something? Graduations are cool. And I feel like until I became poet laureate for my, my town, because um, people generally suffer, not people, not you, not you, Denver, but uh, <laughs> people generally suffer from a lack of imagination when it comes to like what poets can do. It's like, yeah, we write poems, but poems can be used for lots of different things. Like most commercials you hear are or poetry of some sort. Like, you know, it's rhetorical language and devices and things. And so I think that the biggest thing that kind of changed a little bit the trajectory of my career was once I became Poet Laureate and started getting invited to graduations, mm -hmm. commencements. Like, and it would be like, usually they'd just pay some public speaker or some it person who's in and, and doing the public speaking and touring circuit. Um, usually you see those kind of people speaking at universities and colleges. Those same kind of people get hired to do high school and middle school graduations. And uh, occasionally, either they don't have enough budget to get who they really want, or they just are like, we want to do something different. We're going to take a risk. And yeah, we have a poet laureate. Let's have them come do the commencement address, which is now like, you got to be interesting for 45 minutes all of a sudden. <laughs> and it's just a different kind of writing and storytelling process. And you're probably not good at it the first time. And, and every time after that, you get better and better at it. And I've been invited to do so many at this point that I feel like I'm probably... Yeah, I'm, I can say I am a experienced graduation commencement speaker. <laughs> and that's not something I necessarily would have said I wanted to be when I grew up and not anything I thought I would ever put on my resume until now. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's right. awesome. So, yes. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to ask, I'm so curious, where do your poems usually start for you? Oh, man, that's um, it's a mixed bag. Right. Um, I come from a background like so my my academic background and training, uh, my bachelor's in biology, but my minors in communications. And when I came to the Southwest and came to UNM, my major was communications. And so mass media, but that includes everything from journalism, PR and marketing all the way to, you know, uh, how identity is constructed and created more meta, more academic notions of what it means to to speak, talk, draw and communicate. And so I, I feel like, you know, um, because of that and the time I spent doing radio journalism, I used to work for the NPR affiliate in Albuquerque. My process is very much a investigative process. If I want to write, if I want to figure out how I feel about something, it starts with homework and research. 
That's because that's my journalism training. And so I'm always trying to figure out what's like, it, it, it's a love poem. Okay, there's millions of experiences of love and everybody's experience is wholly unique. And poets of all kind, good, bad, and other have said lots of things about love. There are two ways to approach that. You could even try to say the thing that's never been said about love. Good luck with that. Because everybody has said everything there is to say about love. So if you're trying to say something new, it's an uphill battle. If you're trying to say something interesting, it's just a matter of trying to figure out what your personal connection is to it. And, and I find my way to that through, through homework, through reading other poems that have been written about that, deciding what I like about those poems and what I don't like about those poems. And then at the end of it, you're like, oh, I really wish somebody did this when they were writing their poem about love. And then you go try to write that poem. That's the poem you want to write. You found your own lane, you connect to it, and you feel like you can add something to the conversation, even though everything that's been said has already been said. But you think that what you have to add, it's like being at a party and there's mm -hmm. people are talking around a table and you only kind of speak up when you think you have something that interesting to add, right? Th I, that's really how most of my poems kind of come to be. That's only when I don't have a deadline though. When, when I have a deadline, it's just like there's, like any writer will tell you, there's a practice. You, you build a muscle and have a discipline. Like if I have to turn something out by Friday, I'll figure it out. I can't just say, hey, I'm not inspired or inspiration didn't strike. So you get snow poem. Like that's not how it works. It's still a job. So you have to come up with something, right? So yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Um, and could you tell us more about your role here at UMS? Like what role is the delegation playing? The delegates, well, other than the super fancy title, delegate. <laughs> you know, I feel like uh, we should be at the Capitol building, Congress, delegate. Uh, but no, uh, shout out to, to Youth on Record, of course. Um, Longtime fan of Youth on Record, and I've had a chance to collaborate over the years. Uh, I get most inspired by young artists. It's the work I do in Albuquerque is really with young writers and poets for the most part. I um, mean, old writers are cool. Like, don't get me wrong. My old poet friends probably mad at me. But um, when you think about what's, what's experimental, what's innovative, what has the, the most energy, it is oftentimes, you know, writers who are really passionate about what they have to say, which tends to be the, the younger writers. And so that's the beginning of my kind of connection to Youth on Record. And as it's grown over the years and if you, logically, if you think about it, the, the young artists we worked with back in the day are now not young anymore, right? <laughs> right? And so what are you building as far as a scaffolding to continue to create opportunities for artists as their careers grow, transform, change? And um, this, this showcase feels like the logical, like now, okay, maybe you come through the, the, the farm league pipeline of Youth on Record and you're getting ready to launch your career as an independent artist and you're just like, man, it's really hard to get into these festivals. Well, Let's just make one for you. Like, you know, and now you're mo we're moving your career onto the next level. And, and, and that's important to me and why I got invited to be a delegate other than helping them. Delegates have helped to think through how this actually comes to be and how this is going to work now and moving forward. I think it's powerful to me because as, a, as, a, as an old guy now who still like I, I'm still a kid, I still just like make stuff up in my head and write it down and people pay me for it. Right. Like I, at the end of the day, it's what I do for a living. Right. And it, and it keeps me young because I'm always having to, like, making stuff up means your, your imagination works if you're constantly making things up and creating things. And I feel like it keeps me young. And I look at people my age who aren't happy, who probably are making lots of money and have way cooler jobs than I ever will ever have, but they still feel, like, trapped in the boredom of adulthood. <laughs> and I feel like this is, the, this is the opportunity to say to a 20-something artist, yeah, you could go just go get a quote unquote real job, 
But there's like real possibility here if you want to have a career doing this and you don't have to, I feel like 10, 20 years ago, that decision was so clear. It's like either I'm going to be a poor artist or I'm going to go do the thing and buy my house and go into debt. And it's now, now you can actually not be a poor artist and still go buy the house and go into debt. But at least you're happy. <laughs> at yeah. least you're doing what you love to do. <laughs> right. And so that's, that's why it's important to me. So. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, and I, and this whole, I think the Denver community, I'm, I'm so glad to like be a part of it because it really is just like, you want to do this? Like here's opportunities. And that's, that's why Youth on Record. I mean, we're here right now because of Youth on Record. Dude, so, right. Yeah. And, and all the things that it teaches us, right. As artists, like I, when I was a, a younger poet, you know, I, all my time was just like, how do I write the next great American poem? And then later I had to learn how to do social media because that helps your career. And I had to learn how to market my own events. I had to learn how to throw my own events. I had to learn how to do a podcast because now, like, getting your work out there isn't just as simple as, like, oh, you know, Amanda Gorman and, like, oh, I get to read at the Biden inauguration. It's like, no, there, you can have a career without being the most prized, coveted poet out there. Like, there's, there's actually enough to go around. But you have to learn to do all these other things, right? To mm -hmm. make sure people know who you are and hear about your work. And, and so it kind of all, I don't know, I just feel like this generation gets that in a way that um, my weird kind of hip hop generation, we still were kind of like, oh, we're gonna get discovered. And this emerging generation is like, we gonna discover ourselves. Like we gonna mm -hmm. put, we gonna, we gonna build the thing for ourselves because no record labels are coming and knocking, right? No mm -hmm. publishing companies are coming and knocking. And uh, it's, worked out pretty good for this generation, right? How how has has uh, has social media affected the way you write your poems? Like huh. like write do you want to write yeah. for social media or do you want to write oh, for man. that real connection, you know? Good question, Danny. I'll say this to our listeners, um, there's a great documentary so on Prime Video. There's two current documentaries around the history of black comedy. I think Kevin Hart's joint is on Netflix and um, the Snoop uh, Tiffany Haddish one is on Prime. The Prime one's interesting, three-part series, because it talks, it has, um, what's his name? Donnell Rawlings, comedian. He was on a Chappelle show, Ashy Larry, from Chappelle, oh, yeah. my Chappelle <laughs> show fans. He talks about running up on or getting run up on by a young comedian. And homegirl is like, yo, I do comedy. He's like, all right, here, spit, your, spit, spit me your funniest material, go. And she's like, I'm not like that. Like, I'm a, YouTube, I'm a TikTok comedian. She pulls out her phone, like, and he's like, and he's like, I had to check myself, like, because, you know, he's older than me, right? But he's like, I was not expecting that when they said that they're a comedian. And I was judging that and saying, well, that's not like stand-up. It's not just kicking a joke. But there, but he's like, it's also a wholly different art form. And it is. And he was like, and she chin-checked me because she also was like, uh, no, that's comedy. Because here's a definition of comedy. And he, she brought up her phone. It's like, you know, a thing you do to make people laugh that you get paid for or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And she was like, I do all that. Just like you. And he was like, dang. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like, you like know. check the analytics because right. it's right there. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I, I, that resonated with me because I feel like um, when my when I was coming up in the slam scene, it was right before now there's like wand poetry. There's all poetry. Now there's these the, the students that I used to work with get have poems that have three million. I don't have a poem that has over 2,500 views. Oh, my whole go like go check the, the YouTube resume. I do not have any poem. I think the biggest poem is like four <laughs> four thousand people, and that poem is like eight years old. Like you know, <laughs> like five hundred people a year, and yeah, you know, like they did the poem last week, and they already got a million views. So they're doing something right. <laughs> right. I can learn from them, right? And, uh, and and it is a different kind of writing. I think it's I don't I think it's evolving writing because it's one thing to write for an audience of people in this room. 
Mm-hmm. It's one thing to write for an audience that's on the other side of a television or a screen, and, you know, and then our filmmaker friends know that very well. And so if you, if, once you get into that realm, it's a function of poetry, but it's like 4D now, like 5D, <laughs> HD now, uh, poetry in the round now. And, um, and it changes how you perform it. It changes like what you say and how it's going to be consumed. Right. And I think it makes people, um, you know, for my, my rap heads out there, there are people who kind of tell stories like Slick Rick and there are people who just tell punchlines like like Lil Wayne. And I'm a fan of both kind of artists because I love hip hop. But it's like, yeah, the, the punchline lends itself better to social media than ain't nobody going to listen to a whole three minute song and figure out how children's story ends. Slick Rick, mm-hmm. they're going to listen to 30 second. What's your bars like right on yeah. top of each other? They don't have to even tell a story. They just need to be. They need to make me stop scrolling, mm-hmm. right? Like, and I feel like that's where there's a little bit of a nuance in the art of of, of, of performance poetry. Definitely, yeah, that's an amazing insight. Thank you. I'm trying. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I can be better with punchlines. <laughs> stop telling stories, old man. <laughs> I think no. I think stories are yeah. so important because mm-hmm. of the fact that you you don't see that, yeah. and everyone's on their phones. You don't see stories. Yeah, like full fledged. Like yes. in-depth stories. Yes, and now and then now I'm going to contradict myself and say, oh, it's different because of instead of a linear story that you would tell like in in mono, like one like uh, words, the lyrics can be a story, but it's very much a, a chronological story. Now you can tell three 30 second stories at the same time with the words, the music, and the visuals. And so you you are getting a three minute story, but you're getting like th- three one minute stories stacked on top of each other, like a dense bit of data. And um, frankly, that we're so conditioned now that unless it's packing a punch like that, we don't have any attention for it. So you have to kind of be able to, again, do what filmmakers have done for a long time. Like there's a visual story, there's an audio story, there's the script. Like I have to make sure all this stuff is activating people at the same time, right, to keep them here, right? Definitely, yeah. Um, thank you. That was awesome. Love that. <laughs> I know we getting too nerdy. We talking too much craft. No, no. I can this bring is it back. Be- this I can is bring awesome. Back. I wanted and to bring. I it just back. finished the panel, so we went. I went all <laughs> so, the way yeah. in, and I'm like, <laughs> no, go in. Yeah, this here. is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, I wanted to loop back around to New Mexico, and how does living in uh, New Mexico and the Southwest? like affect your work and your writing? Oh, yeah. Uh, the easiest and probably the shortest answer I'll give is that New Mexico particularly, but not Denver too, I feel like Southwest, there is a history of storytelling, of, mm. of storytellers. It, it, it precedes um, just kind of the, the kind of Moorish Hispano influence of colonialism and even the Mex- when this was Mexico still. And then you can go back into Aztecs and Mayans. And it's just like there's something about this place that made people more inspired <laughs> to tell more fantastic and magical stories. And you just, you see it, you see it in the language, you see it in the kind of the vibe. And um, for any storyteller, that's that's attractive to be in a, in a in a community. You know, in New Mexico, I always talk about like, they're everybody's grandma, tia, tia, uncle, abuela, abuelita, everybody is a storyteller. Like the guy on the corner, it runs the shop, is gonna tell you a story. Like, I hope you're not in a hurry, cause he's gonna talk your head <laughs> off. Like that's, it did, that is the, the dynamic of New Mexico. And um, yeah, it's just, it it challenges you to do that better, to be a better storyteller. Cool. I love that. And who are your personal favorite poets? Personal favorites? It changes all the time. Usually it's whoever <laughs> I'm reading right now. Like whoever I'm into now is my favorite today. And then tomorrow I'd have a different answer. I, I'll go way back to like when I first started in 
even had the imagination to say, oh, that's something I could do and I want to do it. But usually there's somebody that makes you go, wow, like, how did you do that? How did you weave a spell that captivated a whole room like that? And what kind of magic is this and how do I learn it? And that was Saul Williams. Um, I was just of that generation when he was coming up in the poetry slam scene. He was about to kind of make a break from the poetry slam scene. A lot of what he does now is much more art, multimedia art. He's, he's a savant in that way. But um, yeah, that Slam Nation was the kind of movie that came out after Deaf Poetry Jam was on HBO at the time. And I'm talking about like VHS era, y'all. That's how old I am. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm VHS years old. And uh, and that, like, I remember trying to boot, getting friends to boot. Like, we didn't have HBO, so I couldn't watch it in real time. So I have friends <laughs> recorded and let me see the tapes. And I'm going, um, another guy that was on there was Black Ice. And he was from Philly. And his whole energy and the way he talks and performs his poems, I for the first three years of my career, I probably was a carbon copy of him. Like that was like, how do I do it like him? Um, and then I eventually kind of evolved my own style, right? Over over the years, um, who who do I like today? Because uh, I, I just saw one of his poems, like Rudy Francisco, um, here the Denver scene, who longtime nemesises in the poetry slam world, and also like our sister city. Um, some of those folks are still around here. So you know Ken, you know Panama, um, you know Susie, uh, Bianca, like, they, like those people are still out here in these streets writing amazing poems. And because we are contemporaries, like when I'm checking for them on social media and stuff, I'm like, oh, so that's where the game is at now? Okay, I gotta get my, I gotta get my game up. And that's kind of how we challenge each other to keep doing better. Or someone's like, hey, I just published my second book. And I'm like, oh man, I only got one book. Oh man, I need to go, I need to hit, get, go to the woodshed. I need to start writing because it feels like as we kind of make this up, as we all grow up, these are the things that we think we need to do to be full grown up adult poets. And it's like, yeah. Oh, you're doing this big gig with the symphony. Oh, I should I should try to do a big gig with the symphony. What's that like? And so I, those are my people. And, and I would say in Albuquerque, because I can't not shout out my own hometown, um, we just named a new poet laureate, Anna, Anna Martinez. And yeah, Anna has been around. She's also an attorney. So like, yeah, lawyers got flavor too, right? <laughs> and, and yeah, and she's like uh, originally from LA, but a grandma in Albuquerque and a lawyer who is like the poet laureate who came from the poetry slam world. Like those are my heroes, people who are just kind of doing it on their own terms, you know? Definitely. Do you want to ask that self-doubt question? I do want to ask that self-doubt question. Yes. She, she wrote Uh, those ones. (laughs) Self-doubt. Yes. Next question. (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) Um, Do you at all struggle with, um, self-doubt and if so how do you work through it to have confidence in your art yeah not being good enough if you don't feel like you're not good enough you ain't doing it right right like like even god bless him even kanye west (laughs) talks about like self-doubt you're like but you're kanye i mean the new kanye not the old kanye but you're still kanye (laughs) and but like yeah like and a lot of that doubt which can become crippling um, so to me, that's the that's the, the secret. It's like how do you how do you work through it? Not whether you have it or not, because we all have it to differing degrees. But um, most of it is of your own making, and it's not is this poem good enough? Because it is. Like you know, I, I do a lot of work with all kinds of writers, incarcerated writers, and and everybody out here trying to make a million dollars as a New York Times bestseller. They just want to write poems because it makes them feel good, and that's like if that that is enough. Like you, it doesn't have to do any more than that. Like, that's actually good enough. But yeah, if you have ambitions for things you want it to do, like, I want to play Red Rocks. Well, okay, 
you set that expectation now. And so any doubt you have is your doubt about whether you can achieve a goal that you chose. <laughs> like, and so like, where do we get to moderate our expectations for ourselves and allow growth to happen? And, and, and in the panel I just finished, you know, at UMS here, we were talking about creative collaborations and a lot where we all arrived at, all the panelists were like, you gotta take the risk. You gotta take the risk that you, you will fall on your face a couple of times before you do something great. And getting comfortable with failure I mean, that's, that's important for any person who claims to be a, a grown-up or a human. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you gotta, you're never going to have that breakthrough to see what's possible if you're always playing it safe. If you're always doing the thing like, I'm pretty good at this, so I'm just going to stay in this lane. Y you're not going to grow that way. You're going to get really good at doing that, but you're not going to grow. And, and oftentimes, the, to, at least I can speak for myself, the most amazing, unforgettable parts of my career have been when I've been invited to something, a collaboration or something where I was kind of like, say yes and figure out how to do it later. Mm -hmm. And that's always turned into something good. It's never, it's never went wrong. So <laughs> that gives me more encouragement to take the risk again. Cause I'm like, oh, okay. It worked out well last time. It's got to It's scary. And it might not be good enough and it's fine. You know, artists know you, we know when it's not good enough. You know how we know? Because there'll always be somebody in the crowd that's like, yo, that was dope. Oh, let me buy you a beer. There's always be those people. You know if you did well, do they invite you back? They don't invite you back. Yeah. You, know, right? you also ain't for everybody. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. That's fine. I keep writing these poems, and I'll find somebody else who thinks that this is, this is good medicine. You know. Thank you. That is, that's great advice. And in the same vein, I guess, what would you say in specific, I guess, to young people who write poetry as well? <laughs> Some words of inspiration. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this, and I'm really gonna make my, my old heads hate me. Don't, don't let no old person break your spirit. <laughs> don't let no old person <laughs> tell you that, like, uh, you know, you're not gonna, you're never gonna make a career doing this kid. And I know that that hard, tough love is supposed to be good. I was on the board of an art school, and it's like, so, yeah, not everybody is going to, like, let me use a sports metaphor because I talked about it earlier. Not everybody's going to the NBA. Not everybody's going to the league. Doesn't mean your jump shot couldn't be better. Doesn't mean your handles couldn't be better. Like, everybody can become a better dribbler. That doesn't mean we're all going to make it if that is our, our version of success. But if you just want to run the pickup around the way, I could, get, I could teach you how to shoot a three like Steph Curry. You run the pickup around the way, right? You're never going to play in college. Too short. But, <laughs> like, you know, and so I just feel like there's – there. When you hear that kind of feedback, I think it's tempting to take it personally. Process it how y'all process it and then keep it moving. Like, like the worst thing that can happen is somebody can give you feedback that stops you from continuing to try, right? You know, um, and, and it is the trying is where you're going to find your lane. And the trying is also going to get you to a point where you find out maybe this ain't for me. Maybe I spent seven years trying to become a, a national poetry slam champ. And then in year number seven, I, I realized I can't do this poetry anymore. I need to go over here and get, quote, unquote, a real job. Yet now all of a sudden you're getting invited to help write, you know, scripts for commercials. It's like, OK, so those seven years weren't for nothing. Like all that. I thought it was training me to do this and it actually is training me to do that. And so I just feel like that's where it's like take that information. Yeah, they might be steering you in their own rude kind of <laughs> way. Like, you know, people are people. People can be mean. But but just be like, OK. What can I learn from this? What can I take from this? And go back into the lab tomorrow and keep doing your thing because in the grand scheme of things, 
your life will play out in a way where you will know what it was for. You will know what it meant, what it, what it meant and the why of it. And, and sometimes you just can't see it when you're in the middle of it. And that's, that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I think what's more dangerous, I will say this, right? I'll say what Genevieve, what's more dangerous is the overconfidence. That's more dangerous because that's when you get like not even young people. I know we like to pick on young people. Like there's old knuckleheads, too, where like, I know everything. You can't tell me nothing. I, like, like that's more dangerous than being having self-doubt. Like, you know, I just think in my opinion, in my opinion, that's like you got to be confident, but you have to be able to learn. You have to be able to like, yeah, because it's like if you did know everything, you wouldn't be standing in front of me. Like, like <laughs> right. Like, you know, so. Well, thank you so yeah, much for being so on. Much. Before before you leave, I wanted to ask you about the 2021 book or anthropology, the Commissions y Corridos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to tell us about it? Just I, like, yo, I'm happy to schlep my most recent product. Yes, yeah, put it in there. Shameless self promotion. <laughs> yeah, it is a yeah, it is a it's a collection of poems from my time, mostly from my time as laureate, which my my term was 2012 to 2014, and then probably about. 20% of poems are poems that maybe were written after I like the next poet laureate was already serving. But um, but there are also poems that I got invited to write and I probably wouldn't have been invited to had I not been the poet laureate. So it's a super Brodke, Albuquerque-centric book. So I feel like it's a, it's a crowd pleaser for people from Albuquerque because they're like super like Albuquerque is the bomb poems. Um, <laughs> and uh, But I think there's, there's enough in there for folks who aren't from there um, to kind of see just my experience as a I mean, those years, I'm giving too much away right here, but like I'm 44 now. So you're, I'm thinking of like mid thirties to mid forties, like what, what that was like being a black guy in the Southwest and, and how, and my interpretation of the world, like looking at the world through my lens and my prism. And so there's some current events in there that folks will rec- recognize if they're like newsies like me. Um, there's a lot about the natural beauty of New Mexico. Um, there's a lot about what we were talking about, like the history and the pedigree of storytellers in New Mexico and, uh, and yeah, trying to, trying to, you know, hold my spot or solidify my spot in that legacy, in that tradition of like, we tell stories about this place and this place is pretty magical. It's what we do. Thank you so much for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. Before, uh, where can we find this book? Um, so I will say, if you can, if you can help it, don't buy it on Amazon. It's there, <laughs> like everything else, like, no your grocer- like your groceries were, <laughs> like it's there. But um, but yeah, I, I encourage you to ask your local bookstore, bookseller, Mutiny Information Cafe, um, to, to go ahead and put an order in and they can get it to any, any local bookstore. It's distributed by the University of New Mexico. So if people really are like, I want to go to a verified distributor, you go to UNM Press and... They will mail you a book, but you will have to pay shipping and handling. Awesome. Well, Hakeem Bellany, thank you so much. Um, It's been a real pleasure hearing your story. Thank you both. Appreciate it. Thank you. Underground at the Showcase is an official podcast of the Underground Music Showcase and a production of Youth on Record. You can learn more about Youth on Record at youthonrecord.org and on social media at Youth on Record. You can stream our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please like, follow, and subscribe. Our team includes Lauren Francisco, Sean King, and Tierney Worthen. This episode was edited and mixed by Akello Stallings. Our executive producers are July Jones and David Layden. Additional music for this episode was provided by 88. We want to give a big thanks to Mutiny Information Cafe for hosting us. You can learn more about Mutiny at mutinyinfocafe.com. Thank you for tuning into the show. I'm Danny Akery. And I'm Genevieve Glimp, and you are listening to Underground the Showcase.